Yeah. Aren't you glad for that today? Wow. Well, good morning and welcome, and I know it's been said already, but I want to say it again, Happy Easter. So glad to see you here this morning. And, uh, you know, Easter has always been a big deal in, in my family. I grew up in the church, like many of you, and so uh, if, if you grew up in the church, then you'll probably identify with this, but my, my family always made a big deal out of Easter. When I was really young, um, we used to get a new Easter outfit every year. Anybody get new Easter outfits? Yeah, when you're growing up, a bunch of you did that. Well, when we were really young, my mom made our outfits. Any moms? Did you have your moms make? Some of you guys remember that, yeah? Some moms made their outfits. And uh, we, I don't know what happened. We must have come into some money or something like that. Or maybe she just got tired of making our outfits. But we got a little older, and uh, we would go Easter clothes shopping every year, man. That's when we got our new Sunday outfit. And, of course, this was back in the 70s, and uh, polyester suits. Everybody remember the polyester leisure suits? Yeah, those were in at the time. And I never liked those, you know. My mom would get us these new poly, I'd get these new polyester pants, and I didn't want to wear the pants. I wanted to wear jeans, and we had those, you know, slick, tight socks, those dress socks, and I didn't want to wear those dress socks. I wanted to wear white socks, and, and uh, we had the, the shiny shoes that you had to wear, and back then in the day, you know, white was in, and you were popping if you were wearing white, man, and uh, white belt, white shoes, and I didn't want to wear those. I wanted to wear my tennis shoes, and so, you know, I, but, but that's just what we did back in the day. Praise God, we got delivered from that, and I can wear my tennis shoes to Easter. <laughs> but thankful for that, Yeah. So, uh, but you know, we, we, Easter, we did a lot of things on Easter. We did, how many remember sunrise services? We did, sun, yeah, a bunch of you. Uh, we, I grew up in a church where apparently we believed that you weren't a Christian unless you got up before the resurrection. And so uh, we had our sunrise services and we would go out and I didn't like those because, you know, it meant getting up early and weekend and that combination wasn't cool for me as a kid. But we would go and everybody would be tired and half asleep except for the farmers that were there because they were used to getting up. And, and, and we would be out there and, in, and we, I grew up in Nebraska just up the road in Kearney. And of course, here in Nebraska, it can, you know, Easter can be as early as late March. And so you never know what kind of weather you're going to get. And sometimes it would be cold. And uh, as a kid, I remember thinking, man, if I were Jesus and I just got resurrected from the dead and I walked out and this, it was this cold, I'm going back in the tomb where it's warm, man. <laughs> but we did, we did sunrise services. And then uh, my favorite, we would go back to the church, this little church that my dad pastored, and we would go down in the basement and have uh, Easter breakfast together. And uh, if there's anything that my church knew how to do, man, we, we knew how to eat. And uh, we, they would do it upright. We would have pancakes and eggs and sausage and bacon and sausage, uh, biscuits and gravy. I mean, the whole day. And I'm getting hungry right now just talking about it. Uh, but, but they would do it upright. And, and, and it was a great, those were great memories that I have. And, and I, you know, we, we did the other things too. We would do the Easter egg hunts and the family dinners and uh, the pictures with the family because apparently, you know, you got to document it. It doesn't happen if you don't get pictures of it. And so we would, you know, we would see the Easter bunny and we would do all of those things. And, um, you know, the, oh, I forgot the best part. When I, was, when, when I was a kid, my, my parents, they would get my sister, I have a little sister, and they would get each of us Easter baskets and fill them with candy. And that was my, fa and my favorite part was, well, they would, my favorite part was they would get me a big Easter basket because they loved me more and my little sister a smaller one. No, they didn't do that. I'm just kidding. 
That's just in case she's listening from Texas. I got to get that in there. But no, but uh, my favorite part was the chocolate bunny. And uh, this was not kids. I don't know how many younger people we have in here. This was back in the day when like the chocolate, I'm talking solid chocolate bunny. Not these rinky-dink, hollow chocolate bunny. Or even the, the solid chocolate bunnies that they have today are like half a bunny. There's no bunny with a backside that is a solid chocolate bunny for whatever reason. But I mean, we, I mean I'm talking big, solid, 12-pound chocolate bunny that you ate on for months. And I would take mine and I would put it in the refrigerator and get it really hard. And I mean, I'm in July still eating on like the feet of this bunny. But those great memories that we have. And, and I, I, you know, many of you, I'm sure, have your own memories growing up uh, of Easter. And, and I share this with you this morning because as big a deal as Easter is, and always has been, even, even for me growing up with all of the spiritual themes that I grew up with, what I've discovered is that if we're not careful, it is so easy for Easter simply to become another event that we do. And this morning, what I want to remind you of is that the resurrection of Jesus is more than an event. It's an experience that each of us are intended to have personally. The resurrection of Jesus is not an event, it's an experience that is intended for each of us. And, and, and my prayer this morning for each and every one of us is that we would have a personal experience with the power of the resurrection. This morning we're going to look at that story, the resurrection story, and uh, we're going to be looking at John's account of the resurrection. It's found in John chapter 20. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps and want to open them, you can do that. It'll also be up on the screen. But we're just going to jump right in. John chapter 20, verse 1. John writes this. He says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, I want to pause right here for just a moment. I love this because John is the one writing this story, and he's talking about himself. He's like, you know, I mean, why not? I mean, if you're writing it and you can call yourself the one, the disciple that Jesus loved, why write, you know, my name is John? I mean, he's like, man, I want everybody to know that I'm the guy that Jesus loved. And so I love that. But we're told that Mary finds Peter and John... And so she tells them they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And then we're told that uh, Peter and John immediately take off. They start running to the tomb. And again, uh, John is writing this, so in his story, he gets there first, because if you're writing the story, you're going to be the fastest runner in the story. So he gets there to the tomb first. Peter comes shortly after. They go into the tomb. They look around, and they see it's exactly what Mary said. It's empty. Nobody there. Jump down to verse 10. It says, then they, Peter and John, went home. And Mary stayed, she's standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, John says, she stooped and looked in and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? 
the angel asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave, verse 14 says, and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Now, she thought he was a gardener. So, sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. And then I love this in verse 16. Jesus simply says her name, Mary. And she turns to him, and she cries out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I've observed is that there are a lot of people who would love to have a do-over in some area of their lives. In fact, if the truth were to be told, that probably in some way or another is true for every single person in this room. It really applies to all of us that there's some area of life where we would love to have a do-over. For, for some people, you know, you'd love to have a do-over when it comes to that marriage that failed. For, for others of us, we'd love to have a do-over in parenting mistakes that were made along the way. Or for some, a, a do-over in a move or a career choice. A, a do-over in some crucial decision that we made along the way of life. If only, you know, there were like a do-over button that we could just push and it would give us a brand new life, a fresh start. Listen, what I want you to understand this morning is that this is the good news of the gospel, is that when Jesus comes and when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, what he's really saying is, no matter what past mistakes you've made in your life, I have come to offer you a brand new life. I've come to give you a clean slate. I've come to give you a fresh new start. I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say about himself, I was resurrected. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection, present tense, right now, right where you're at, I am the resurrection. And when Jesus says those words, I am the resurrection, what he's really saying is, he's saying, I was dead and now I'm alive. And because of the resurrection, that life that I have, you can have as well. You see, when we unite our lives with his life, what that does is it actually creates an avenue for his power to begin to work in our situation, to give us a, a fresh new start and give us new life. But, but here's the deal. Here's what we have to understand, that if you and I are ever going to experience a fresh start, a clean slate, there are some things that we have to do on our end. And, and as I look at Mary's story, I think there are some clues in her story that might help us understand what some of those things might be. In fact, let me just say a couple things about Mary just to kind of give you a little bit of a, a background. Uh, first of all, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see there are a number of women named Mary. Mary was a common name in those days. And so there are a number of Marys in the Bible. And so just to make sure we're talking about the right one, first of all, understand that there is, uh, Mary is the mother of Jesus. That's not the Mary we're talking about here. 
but Mary, Jesus' mother's name was Mary. And then uh, there's Mary, who was the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. We're not talking about that Mary either. Uh, this Mary is, we're told her name is Mary Magdalene. And her last name is not Magdalene. Back in those days, it was very common to identify somebody either, first of all, by the name of their father. So, you know, people might refer to me as uh, Doug, the son of Jack. You know, it was Jesus, the son of Joseph. Or the town from which they came from. And so I could be Doug of Lincoln. Uh, you know, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And so this is the case with Mary. She came from this little village called Magdala. And Magdala was, uh, just sits right on the, uh, on the side of the Sea of Galilee on the northwest side. And back in Jesus' day, Magdala was kind of a resort town. People would go there to get away. And it was a very wealthy town. But it was also a very immoral town. In fact, historians tell us that Mary, the way that she made her living before she encountered Jesus, was she was a prostitute. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus came to Magdala and when he first encountered Mary, that he actually cast seven demons out of Mary. And so what we know about Mary is we know that she was a woman who had a past. She was a woman who, in her life, she had made some bad choices. She was someone who had experienced more than her fair share of hurt and brokenness and oppression. And so I, I love this. I find it so interesting that out of all of the people that Jesus could have appeared to on that first Easter morning, the person he chose was Mary, which I think tells us a little bit something about who Jesus really is. He came to Mary first. I think it reveals something about the heart of Jesus. You see, I'm convinced that sometimes people fall prey into the trap of thinking that, you know, because of my past mistakes, because of my past indiscretions, because of my past failures, that Jesus would never want to have anything to do with me. And if the story of the resurrection tells us anything, it tells us that there is nothing that any of us could ever do that is beyond the power of the resurrection. That's good news right there. I love that Jesus came to Mary first. In fact, as I look at this story, there are really kind of three uh, lessons that I want to quickly draw from Mary's brief interaction with Jesus that hopefully this morning will help each of us personally experience the power of the resurrection in our own lives. The, the first one is this, is we need to remember that it is possible to know about Jesus and still miss Jesus. It's possible to know all about Jesus and totally miss Jesus. In other words, you can know about him here and not really know him here, relationally, experientially. And, and on a number of occasions, when you look back at this story, on a number of occasions, Jesus had had a similar conversation with his disciples. A number of times, not just once, but multiple times, Jesus had told his disciples, he said, hey, I want you to know that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested. And I'm going to be tried falsely. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be bruised. I'm going to be crucified. 
I'm going to die, but don't worry because I am going to rise again on the third day. In fact, Jesus made this statement so many times that even his enemies remembered it. This is why after the crucifixion, the religious leaders go to Pilate and they said, hey, listen, this imposter has said that on the third day he's going to come back to life, and so we need you to put some soldiers in front of the tomb to make sure that his followers don't come in and steal his body to perpetuate this hoax. And, and so scholars tell us that they believe that there could have been as many as 50 Roman soldiers guarding the entrance and the tomb where Jesus' body lay. And so here's Mary. She was there, man. I mean, she, she, she heard those words straight from Jesus' mouth. She, she heard him say, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to raise from that. She heard it. She saw all the miracles. She was there for the feeding of the 5,000. She was there for the feeding of the 4,000. She, she saw Jesus heal blind eyes and deaf ears. She saw Jesus speak and cripples walked. She saw him raise people from the dead, exert his authority over death. She saw this with her very own eyes. And so on that first Easter Sunday, when Mary shows up at the tomb, and she sees that the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty, except for a pile of grave clothes, which is, you know, that, that's a pretty good clue that Jesus has risen from the dead. And, and so you might think that Mary, of all people, would walk in there and she would see all of that and she would be like, yep, I, I, I kind of expected this. I mean, it's exactly like he said he would do. We, we expected he rose from the grave just like he said he would do. But, but that's not what happens. Instead, as she looks at the tomb, we're told that she sees these two angels. And she begins to have a conversation with these angels like that's normal. She, she's like, okay, so where is he? Where did they put him? Who took him? Where, where is his body? And, and then she turns and she sees there's Jesus standing right in front of her, but she doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. And he says to her, he says, Mary, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she still doesn't get it. Where is he? Where have they taken his body? And, and what's very interesting is that after everything, she of all people misses the fact of the resurrection. Why is that? Because you can know about Jesus and still miss Jesus. I mean, she knew Jesus in general. She had walked with him. She had followed him for, for several years, but, but she didn't apparently understand the primary message of Jesus. And the main message of Jesus is that he died for our sins, he was buried in a tomb, and he raised to life three days later. She didn't understand that. And the truth is that now Mary, really, what she was doing was she was operating under her own false assumptions when it came to Jesus. She assumed that he would not be resurrected. She assumed that his body had to be someplace else. She assumed that somebody had come in and moved his body. And here's the reality that we need to understand this morning is that Mary is not that much different than a lot of people today. 
who rely on their own false assumptions when it comes to Jesus. Some some assume when they think of Jesus, they assume that he was a a great moral teacher, but he wasn't really God. Uh, Others assume that, you know, knowing him personally as your Savior isn't really that important. That there are lots of ways to heaven. There's lots of paths that lead to heaven. Some, Some assume that you can live and do whatever you want to do and it really doesn't matter to Jesus. Some people assume that knowing about Jesus is the same thing as personally knowing Jesus. But it's not. Mary didn't understand that you can know about Jesus and still miss Jesus. The second thing I want you to notice is that you can be near Jesus and still not see Jesus. I want you to look at verse 14. It says, at this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? She, again, thinking he's the gardener, says, sir, if, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. See, see, here's Jesus standing right there, right in front of her. Why didn't she recognize him? Now, now some people have suggested that the reason why is because she is so filled with grief that she's just not thinking clearly. And it's true that grief can do all kinds of things to us. It can cause us not to see things clearly or to think clearly. But, but as I read this story, I don't think that Mary's issue is grief. Actually, if you read the text, rather than grieving, the way I take it is she's kind of ticked off. I mean, she's mad. I mean, I mean here she is. She's like, somebody has taken Jesus' body. Who has taken Jesus' body? Where have they taken him? I'm going to get to the bottom. I mean, this is a woman on a mission. She's like, if i got to go back and talk to the angels again, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Where is his body? You see, what her problem is, and the reason that she does not recognize Jesus, is really it's the same thing that happens to people all the time. And that is, if you're not looking at life, if you're not looking at your circumstances, if you're not looking at what is around you through the eyes of faith, you will miss Jesus every time. The only way to see Jesus is through eyes of faith. You see, Mary's problem is that she entered into this situation and what she's expecting is she's expecting a dead Jesus. She's looking for a dead Jesus. And because of what she expects, she actually misses a resurrected Jesus standing right in front of her. You see, as it is with everything when it comes to Jesus, this really is simply an issue of faith. And for Mary, where she really missed it is instead of trusting in what Jesus said, she instead put her trust in what she saw. I mean, Mary was there. She, she saw Jesus crucified. She had heard what he said, but she saw him crucified. She had heard what he said, but she saw his body taken down from the cross. She had heard what he said, but she saw his body placed in a tomb. She had heard what he said, but she saw the tomb, the, the stone rolled in front of the tomb. 
And, and so she allowed what her experience was in that moment to override the promises that Jesus had given to her. I mean, I mean, you would have thought that not just Mary, but you would have thought that all of the disciples on that, on that Easter Sunday morning, you would have thought that every single one of them, man, talk about sunrise service, before the sun gets up, that they all would have gathered around the tomb. And as the sun is coming over the horizon, man, you would have thought they'd have been there like 10, 9, 8, man, it's going to happen, 7, 6, Five, remember what he said, four, three, two. And I mean, they're just waiting for him to walk out of the tomb. Except that's not what happened. Here's the deal. Mary's experience really isn't that much different than ours. I mean, for many of us, Jesus is right here. Jesus sees our circumstances. Jesus understands that humanly speaking on the surface, things look hopeless. He understands how dead things look. And he stands ready to work and to move in your life, not just as the one who was resurrected, but as the resurrection and the life. But many of us cannot see what Jesus is going to do because we are so caught up in the circumstances that surround us in the moment. And Jesus stands there, he's waiting for us to understand that when he is in the room, there is no circumstance that's too difficult for Jesus. There is no circumstance or situation that's too hopeless. There, there is no circumstance or situation that is beyond the power of his resurrection. Why? Because he is the resurrection. Here's the deal. In order for us to experience the power of his resurrection, it's going to require faith. Because without faith, it's so easy, like Mary, to be right in front of Jesus, to have access to Jesus, but to totally miss Jesus. And, and, and let, me, let me just say this about faith. Some people say that in order to have faith, you have to ignore the facts. Like, like faith is here and facts are here. This is faith, this is common sense. And so in order to have faith, you have to ignore all this over here. Let me just tell you, that, is, that couldn't be further from the truth. It's not true at all. In fact, faith actually comes in response to the facts. That The fact is this, that over 2,000 years ago, there, is, there was a man named Jesus who walked the face of this planet. Uh, all credible historians will tell you this. There's no debate as to whether a man named Jesus lived, a teacher named Jesus. The facts are that when he was 33 years old, this man Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. That's just a, a fact. He was crucified for your sin and for my sin. The facts are he was buried in a tomb. The facts are there was a stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. The facts are there were Roman soldiers that were placed to guard the tomb. The facts are that on Friday night, Jesus was dead. The facts are on Saturday, all day, Jesus, dead. The facts are that on Sunday morning, something happened, and he rose from the dead. You see, faith comes when you and I say, you know what, I'm going to put my faith and I'm going to put my trust in who Jesus is. 
I'm going to put my, my faith, I'm going to believe that what Jesus says and what God's word says, not only that Jesus died for my sins, that he really loves me and he wants to come in and change my heart. And when a person does that instantly, they begin to look through the eyes of faith. All of a sudden, they'll begin to see things differently because we see things differently through the eyes of faith and through our own eyes. Which leads us to the last thing that we learn about Mary, and that is, or from Mary, and that is that you can only know Jesus when you're willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus. The only way to know him is to put your faith and trust in him. In, in verse 16, Jesus says to her, I love this, he speaks one word, Mary. He calls her name. And I believe today with all of my heart that God still speaks. He still calls our name. He still calls out to us. And Mary hears her name and immediately she recognizes the voice of Jesus. She hears his voice and she turns to Jesus. I love that. You see, what, what we need to understand this morning is that really, that's all salvation is all about. When we talk about giving our lives to Jesus, we talk about salvation. All salvation is, is simply turning toward Jesus. It's simply responding to his voice and saying, Lord, I believe. I believe in who you are, and I'm turning my life toward, to you. And in that moment, when she hears his voice, and she looks at him through the eyes of faith, in that moment, she immediately recognizes Jesus for who he is, that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. In fact, in, in John chapter 10, Jesus says this. He says, if you want to know why I came, if you want to know what I came to do, it's, 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 it's not to condemn everybody. It's not to like take my big hammer of judgment down. And he says, if you want to know what I came to do, he says, I have come so that they might have life. That's why I came. The King James Version says it like this, that they might have life more abundantly. And I love, I love the way the, the message puts it. Yeah, you can clap for that. I love, I love the way the message puts it. It says, I have come so that they might have life more and better than you could ever imagine. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it like this. He says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. You see, what I want you to understand this morning is that the message of Easter is not, you know, Jesus did not come simply to make bad people good. No, the message of Easter is Jesus came to make dead people live again. That's why he came. He says, I've had life. I think one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible is found in Revelations chapter 1, verse 18. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says these incredibly powerful words. He says, I am he who lives and was dead. Man, if you got your Bibles, man, I'd grab a pen and I'd circle that. I'd underline that word was. I am he who lives and was dead. And he says, behold, I am alive forevermore. And I absolutely love this because Jesus actually amens himself. 
He's like, if you guys aren't going to do it, I'm going to amen myself. This is so good. i got to say amen to this. So he says, amen. And then he says, here's the reason why all of this matters is because I have the keys of hell and death. Which means this, man. It means it doesn't matter how dark your life is. It doesn't matter what you're walking through. It doesn't matter how hopeless you may feel or how much you may have given up on your life. You need to understand God has not given up on you. And he holds the key to all the hell and all the death that you will ever walk through in this life. And so that means that there is no person that is beyond God's reach. There's no condition beyond God's repair. It doesn't matter how bad you've blown it. It doesn't matter how long you've struggled with that addiction. It doesn't matter how broke you are. It doesn't matter how many friends have turned their back on you. It doesn't matter how many family members have walked away from you. God says, I am for you, and I'm not against you. And my power is more than able to resurrect all the dead things in your life. You need to know that that same power that raised Christ from the dead is available for each and every one of us today. And if you'll just fix your eyes on Jesus, who the Bible calls the author and the finisher of our faith, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he says it doesn't matter who's against you because I'm for you. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus, then you can walk in boldness and confidence, knowing that your best days are ahead. Why? Because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. You see, that, my friends, is the whole message of Easter, that Jesus is still in the business of bringing dead things back to life. I want to take just a moment before we pray and, and wrap up our time together. I, I, I pray that every person in this room, if you haven't already experienced the incredible, mighty power of the resurrection, I pray that you would not walk out of this place without experiencing it personally today. And I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, but before we do, I want to just encourage you, every place, every person in this room to just take a moment, bow your heads, close your eyes, nobody looking around. This is just a moment between you and Jesus. And I want to encourage you as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, to just real quick, just take a simple inventory of your life spiritually. Where are you on your own journey of faith? Have you, have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? There may be some here this morning, maybe some who are joining us online, who this is the first time you've ever even heard the gospel. I want to encourage you, and I want you to know that really it's simple. Place your faith in Jesus, repent of your sin, and the Bible says you will be saved. And so this morning, I want to invite you, just in the quietness of your own heart, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can just take these words and make them your own. I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me this morning. Jesus, today, I choose 
to put my faith and trust in you. I want to turn towards you, tired of running from you. I want to turn towards you, and I, I want you to transform my life. Give me a clean slate. Wash it all away. Make me new again. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And so I reach out to you today. I give my life to you. I want you to know this morning that if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that God is faithful and just to answer that prayer, to give you a new life. There may be some here this morning, and as we continue in a spirit of prayer, and you walked into this place heavy, man. Life was just kind of beat up on you, and you understand what Mary must have felt on that day when it just seemed like, Everything I had put my hope and trust in, it just seems dead and hopeless. And you're facing situations and circumstances in your life where you're not sure how you're ever going to make it through it. It's just weighing you down. Today I want to remind you that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And when you turn and fix your eyes upon him, that he can do what you cannot do for yourself. And so this morning, Father, I just lift up every person who's in this room, every person who may be joining us online, and they just are facing things that just seem so big and so difficult and so insurmountable. We lay those at your feet today. We're thankful today that we can boldly say, that there is nothing that is too big for you. There's nothing too far gone. And our hope is in you and your resurrection power. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to fix our eyes upon you. And we pray this today in Jesus' name, amen.